cheers to episode 31. To episode 30. Cheers. It's episode 31. Ah, I got some tea. <laughs> I don't have anything. Rough week. I have body armor again. Alex has a dry, mouth. sticky mouth. I got a dry Sahara Oops. sandpaper mouth right now. Today is Tuesday, July 27th, 7.52 p.m. We just wrapped up an interview with the President of the United States. Just kidding. Uh, you'll see who we're interviewing. And, well, time travel. We're 48-ish hours away from right now from drafting Cade Cunningham. Alex, I'll punch you in the mouth if you read my scripts. One day away if you're listening to this podcast tomorrow from drafting Cade Cunningham. And less than 24 hours away if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday. If you're listening to this on Friday like a psychopath, we already drafted him. Or we drafted Jalen Green. Uh, well, this podcast won't exist if that happens. No, I will. Thanks. It'll be a solo <laughs> oh, show. Out. Yeah, and I think our listener count would go to two. Or to the moon, because everyone wants to hear how disappointed we are. Your dog and your grandma would tune in for the Alex Gillen hour-long talk-to-himself show. Talking myself into Jalen Green. Just the Alex, like, talking about rumors to himself on recruiting boards. It'd be good stuff. People would love to tune in. Maybe, you know what, guys, I'm leaving the podcast. I'm starting my own. Um, See you, man. (laughs) <laughs> but before we dive into sports topics, how was everyone's week? It was good. <laughs> um, the first two days were spent, you know, recovering. We already talked about that last week. And then the rest of my week was not eventful. And then yesterday I played golf against Evan. Huh? On league. Oh. But maybe I'll wait till Evan talks first and then I'll break it down. The beating it was. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Evan, you go. So I'll go. Yeah. So last week, um, not much was happening since we last talked. Uh, Friday night. Look at us. Got to play the local country club with some friends. That was enjoyable. Um, golf and club, then, Evan. Uh, I don't really care, but I know people care when you say country club. The golf club. It's not a country. club. It's a snooty establishment. It's bushwind. <laughs> And I never just lines. It's the golf club, okay. Um, <laughs> did that Friday night uh, with Connor, Colby, and Ryan. Shout out them. What a name drop. Um, they don't listen. And we were the last carts in. And we teed off at like 6. And we were the last carts in at like 9, 9.30. Probably closer to 9.45. And like the last ball that I hit, I had no idea where it went. It was so dark. Did you get free golf? Uh, no, I did not get free golf. Um and then this weekend was like the first weekend I've had off or didn't have anything going on since like May because of like travel baseball and work and all that kind of stuff. So I literally didn't do a damn thing. And I think I laid in bed for a good eight hours on Saturday. Um, yeah, pretty boring. And then obviously Alex said it, uh, yesterday, big golf match between, uh, our teams, my team, myself and drew, and then Alex and his dad, our team, and, you know, you can't win when I blow up, played absolutely terrible, um, and Alex shoots right around par and Garrett shoots two over when his handicap's a five. Yeah, we, we took it to him, as the kids say. And Evan's blow-up hole, yeah, it wasn't pretty. We tried to talk him down from it. just wasn't happening. 
he basically gave himself an eight when he was at his third shot. It was already in his head. So oh, he, he no. just he gave up mentally. No, I was not at my third shot at that point. I was at my fifth. I said, here comes an eight. Mentally oh, gave up on that hole. And then on the next Frosty hole, went up man. and piped one. Yeah. Far. So you recovered. Hey, set it and forget it, baby. It's all. It's not about how you. It's not how great you are at golf. It's how great you are to golf with. And Evan's we had a good time. A great guy to golf with. We had a great time and played a little I'm night golf. Sure I woke up super hungover. <laughs> and yesterday was like the first time I like actually like dip my toes into like drinking since faster horses. And I didn't just dip in. Like well, I we jumped into it. the deep end, like carrying heavy weights, and I did not come back up. Well, that's dangerous. I mean, it was a nose dive into it, just like jump right in. We were the last group to tee off. And so we already polished off like our beers that we got for the round. We polished it off before, before we started. went out. Do not hurt me. And then uh, Garrett was like, you know what? You guys want two shots. And so, you know, we got shots after just playing three holes and then played a hole and a half. And then second round of shots. Let's get it. Um, Some shotguns. Seven, yeah. 17 T box shotgun because I had to get rid of beer. I had like a couple left over still. And then right when we finished our round on 18, shotgun, and then we went and played an extra two holes. Seven, Seven irons only. challenge. Oh, that was made for me. For those wondering at home, the final score out of 30 was 20 and a half for my team and nine and a half for Evan's yep. team. Dang. Wasn't well, bad. as long as you guys had a Four good time. Four weeks left in the season. A lot of time left, three more regular season, and then that fourth week is uh, position like championship week. Time to bear down. Yep. Separate the men from the boys. Correct. Um, my life. I wrote really nothing at all like you guys. The only things that of note. Alex, why do you always just read what I have typed out? Why don't you just listen like a podcast? You know, just listen. I'm approaching the Red Wedding episode on Game of Thrones. Um, yes. Do I know what already happens? Yes, I do. But that's where I'm at in my rewatch as we this saga continues from the snake draft when I got called out. I'm I'm right about there, but I'm really delaying it. Kind of hit a wall in the in the series, but I know good things are on the horizon. Um, sad day today. I realized that I'm trying to learn how to make rice pretty good, like on the stove. And I bought Uncle Ben's ready rice today because I was in a pinch because I didn't have any ones that you normally make. And I realized how much better Uncle Ben's microwave packs are than mine. So that was a big like shot to my ego. And I just need to go back to the drawing board and try to figure it out. Um, so if anyone has any tips, we got any listeners that know how to cook good rice on the stove, boiling water, just let me know. I know the greatest rice maker of all yeah. time. Alex has told me that. He's given me, I asked him to ask Lou himself, giving me a couple of tips here and there, but I need like a video tutorial. I'm a visual learner. So I'll I'm see if I can need that. And then I don't know about you guys, but I am completely out on the Olympics. Um, I remember when I, like Michael Phelps was doing his thing. I enjoyed watching it, but I couldn't couldn't tell you a single thing about these Olympics. I don't really care to watch them. Like they just don't get it going for me. I care about the Olympics. The times are not ideal. It's just all over the place, so it's hard to really watch because I'm at work in the morning when it's going, so I can't really see it. And then they just do reruns. But at that point, if you go on Twitter, you already see what happens. So it's. Yeah, it's it's not great with the time difference, but I do care. I want the U.S. to win everything, and I'm a little disappointed that we're currently not leading the gold medal count. We're leading the medal count, but not the gold medal count, and that's what matters. And USA basketball better figure it out. That's a joke. They better figure it out. 
I, I, I honestly don't even care if USA Basketball doesn't win gold. Like, I don't know what it is. Well, it's, it's, it sounds very un Am I dying inside? I don't care. know. My patriotism dying? Maybe I haven't I really you. don't care. I mean, I care, but I'm not blaming it on the players. I'm blaming it on the GM and the coaches that constructed this oh, team. Oh, right. That's a great point. Let them fail. Yeah, and for not playing Jeremy Grant. What's up with that? Draymond should play a lot more, too. I don't know what's going on. He's the best defender on the team. Yeah. Getting closer. Yeah, I, we're not here into an Olympic defense debate. The rules are even different. You can, like, goaltend in that sport. Anyways. Yeah, I think you can. Uh, we have a listener question. Um, the same person who submitted the NIL question, which was very thoughtful. This is just a kind of quick one to get the brain flowing here. In the Olympic spirit, he says, if you could create an event that you have your best shot at meddling in, what would it be? It can be a sport that already exists, an activity exists, a drinking game, whatever. Uh, mine, no doubter, first ballot is just flip cup. Like if it was me versus another guy, uh, it was like best of seven. I don't think I'd lose. See on the podium with the gold medal around my neck. I'll take a bite out of it as the Star Spangled Banner plays and some poor schlub from overseas looks up at me on the silver podium. Yeah. I considered saying flip cup and then I realized you were better, but I think I can medal in flip cup. That was actually really nice of you to say that. Yeah. I just, it's hard to deny. You're a sweat lord. You practice in your basement every night. So what are you going to do? True. I mean, you can go. I don't really have anything. I'm just wow. not, um, not what super talented. Loser, Alex. I'm always like the super down on myself. So when I think of like, oh, if I could do this sport, but no, someone's always better than you at that sport. So I'm going to go complete like just spitballing. I think I would like metal and like taste testing food. Mm. I don't know how you'd be able to like hand out medals for that. Well, like, you know, dessert taste tester or like barbecue taste tester, I'm pretty sure I definitely would get gold. Do we have a food savant on this podcast I didn't know about? You mean like blind food or just telling you how good it is? Both. Try me. Okay. We will do this actually at some point on the show when we're all together. We will gather. I thought that later on for like an anniversary show, we should do a blind alcohol taste test since we are the shot of Michigan sports. I think that'd be very fun. We get drunk and then do the show after the blind taste testing. Down. Anyways, and Evan will probably win. He better win based on what he said. Although he said food, though, so I guess he, yeah. Thank you. Uh, you'd be screwed on pop because you don't drink it. So they'd be like, "What is? What are these flavors?" I think he could still get it um, based on his confidence. Alex, I'm going to need something out of you, even if it's just like sharpening a pencil. I don't know. Just give me something. Um, I think I could meddle, according to you, at being a, a nice, energetic morning guy. I could just meddle at being morning guy. Uh, I just I'm trying to picture how that would play out on TV for like an audience. Just and I who just looks don't... the most alert when they wake up? That's me. I'm just always not alert you. when I wake. up. I've seen you at your worst in the mornings, and it's definitely not you. Oh, yeah, I'm just an average guy. I'm See, just average at everything. <laughs> Sports is too hard because there's already pros. You can't meddle in that. We would be at the Olympics if we were. Uh, All right, Alex. If you yeah. think of a better one, just shout it out by the end of the show because I just think you're going to need to come with something better. But I want to let it ruminate. Snap hooking tee shots, according to the listener. Wow. Play the hits. All right. Let's dive into the main topic one, Detroit Pistons draft preview. It's got everyone hot and bothered in the streets. The logistics. So if you're listening, you're like, guys, how do we watch this? Thursday, July 29th at 8 p.m. on ABC or ESPN. A little simulcast action. That's how big of a deal it is. Our picks, the Detroit Pistons picks as of now. We have the first pick in the draft. Uh, where have you been? Round two, pick 37, pick 42, and pick 52. 
So I put out a variety of questions and we're just going to kind of hop, hop, skip through them, kind of bite them off in chunks here. There's a lot to tackle. I guess the most logical way here as we do our check-ins on the draft is what do you guys think we're going to do with the first pick as we are two days away, 48 hours away from this? Well, with all the recent news and me thinking it's, uh, you know, just blowing up smoke clouds and then the more and more news comes out, you kind of get nervous. Um, I truly think we will draft Kate Cunningham, but I am more nervous now than I was like two weeks ago. Okay. I think that's fair. I agree with you. I put percentages on it because that's how my brain works. I think there is a 90% chance we take Cade at number one. Well, I'm even lower than that. 75? Work with I would me. say around 75 because I just am afraid that somebody in that office wants to be the smartest guy in there and be like, no, this prospect is definitely going to be the best. Are you talking about Troy Weaver, though? I don't know. Whoever has a big talking head and like persuade somebody to drafting their guy. If someone has, if someone has that poll to convince Troy, then I almost think that's more of a uh, like shot at Troy. And, and I was watching and this pregame show or a hype show, and they were talking about how <laughs> NBA scouts are falling in love with Jalen Green because he did play in the what the G League. Yep, and how they were comparing him. He shot from NBA regulation court three point line, and that he played against NBA opponents. And so they're saying how that gives him a little bit more advantage than it does when you watch Kate Cunningham's tape when he played at like college and regulation. And some people are better, some people are way worse. When do we as a podcast get to consider ourselves NBA scouts as well? I think we might be at that level. And I think these NBA scouts are saying that that's malarkey. We're the, yeah. well, we, we should just claim ourselves as NBA scouts and then just say, yep, our scouting report says Kate Cunningham is better. Yes. I'm just going to put in my Twitter bio, NBA yes. analyst slash scout. Yes. For each season, the draft is approaching. Yeah. Like, and then yes. NFL, like you, analyst, you were NHL, scout, and NLB, I'll just be them all. Yeah. Um, Alex, your percent chance, or what are you thinking about with this pick? Um, <laughs> well, I think that... <laughs> There is interest in Mobley, Green, and Cunningham. From? From Troy Weaver himself. Okay. It's only going to be those three. If it's anyone but Cade, it would be the those other two. I hope so. Ah, <laughs> uh, So no sucks. But I put the percent chance at Cade Cunningham at 98.5%. I think wow. that he's just trying to throw people off course at this point. I think it's, it's Cade. He doesn't want to say it. I don't think Cade would have said all those great, nice things about Detroit and all that if he really thought he wasn't getting drafted by us. I don't know about that. I think he would have said those still. I don't know. I, I just, Why would he not just say Just in my gut feels like it's it's already a done deal and we just don't know about it. And maybe I'm just hoping that, but I think... You that. are. It's a mix of both. Yeah. So just to round out my percentages, the 90% chance, obviously, Cade at number one. I put a 1% chance that we take Green or Mobley at number one. So if we stay there, 1% chance we take one of those guys. And I'd say there's a 9% chance we trade the pick before we have the chance to take it. Now, some could argue those two last ones should be flipped because a trade might be more unlikely. It just seems like there's been a lot of offers reportedly thrown our way, which makes me think people could get panic on draft night and just throw the bag at us and we potentially take it. Weaver did say today in his press conference not to buy into all the trades you see and that most of them 
are just smoke and not real. So, for what it's worth. Well, speaking of Mr. Troy Weaver, Mr. GM Troy Weaver, I blocked out a part of this where if you'd like to give a quick, you know, paragraph length statement to Mr. Weaver to try to say you should do this um, in hopes that potentially hit the new intern at the Pistons is playing this podcast out loud in the hallways in the office. And Troy Weaver hears it as he's walking to get his morning coffee. Because and he hears our voice. playing it out loud. On accident, so, his Bluetooth disconnected from his AirPods. Just blown out on his phone. And it's coming out of his phone. Yep. So uh, who, would anyone like to start? Uh, mine's I'll start. Simple. If you got some nice long, it. it's not long. Thing. Mine's like a sentence. It's a paragraph. I wrote, Dear Mr. <laughs> Troy Weaver, please take Kate Cunningham with the number one overall pick. He's a six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan, 220 pound distributor, Floor general, scorer, bucket getter, disruptive defender, winner. He took on the Big 12's toughest competition alongside the cast of Rugrats, known as the Oklahoma State Sooners, and performed very well. I know it was kind of mean. Chucky. Plus, he has said all the right things about being in the city, like Alex said. Chip on his shoulder, ready to get to work. Hashtag Detroit up. I think that's our hashtag. I'll go next. Dear Mr. Weaver... You personally have a chance to rebrand and rejuice Detroit basketball back to way it should be in the early 2000s when we went back to back in the 80s and 90s. You have a chance to draft the next superstar, the number one overall pick by many, and a chance to get this ball rolling when you single-handedly are building this roster the way that you want it to be. Make the right choice, draft your superstar, and draft the next face of Detroit sports. Yeah, you, guys had, you guys had really nice nice things to set. Yeah, we set the bar high. Yeah, mine, I said mine was just a little shorter. You're to the point. Elite scorer, elite defender, wants to be here. It's a no-brainer. Draft Cade Cunningham. That's all I got to say. Aaron Henry. <laughs> Luca Garza, clear number one overall. Yeah, imagine like Alex is just playing out loud and the Kate Cunningham part cuts out and then he just hears us, Aaron Henry, <laughs> Luca Garza. <laughs> okay, I like that. that. That turned out good. Now, on the flip side of all this, devastation level if we don't pick Kate Cunningham. I'm sure it will change in the moment. Like obviously people overreact in the moment, but as we lean up to it with more of a cool head, uh, where are you at devastation-wise if we do not pick Cade Cunningham number one overall? I'll go first because it's going to be different than everyone else. Um, How do you know that? I just read our brains. I have a feeling. We talk all the time. so uh, We actually don't. <laughs> last year in the draft, Troy Weaver hit, you could say, on pretty much all the picks for now. <laughs> yes. He's done a great job getting rid of players that we didn't need. Selling off contracts, he's bringing in guys that are have played well. I will honestly not be upset because I'm giving Troy a fair shot at it. And if he really believes that Jalen Green is better than Kate, I knew you guys would be upset about it. Who said we're upset? Oh, Evans' reaction says it all. No, not stretching, man. We're straight to the. If Jalen Green to the vest. is the guy for Troy Weaver, I'll give it. I'll give it a chance. And then if it doesn't work out, Cade's a superstar. Jalen Green stinks. Yeah, then it'll be fire Troy Weaver. That'll be it. But I'm gonna give him at least a chance. That's boring and well reasoned. Thank you. But boring. 
That's fine. We're in the big boy takes big boy takes business. That's just how I honestly uh, feel. There's a real possibility I do not watch the Pistons in 2022 if we do not draft Cade Cunningham. That seems just so extreme. Just in 2022? Come on. Evan's got more. You guys would not take it to that level. Unless we got like a massive haul. Oh, I would. Okay. I verbally would never say the word Pistons ever again in my vocabulary. You'd have to quit the pod. Uh, no. I, I, any topic that you talk about them, I, would, I wouldn't say a word about it. Wow. That's just extreme. Guys. That is extreme. No, it's not. That is no, truthful. Evan, don't say you, you guys. Evan's more if extreme. If I asked you the same question when we had a live reaction of us being the number one pick, you were so giddy. The same way. Yeah, but Evan, I've been reasonable and I've thought about it and I'm giving oh. Steve, uh, Steve, Troy a fair chance. Steve Izzo? Steve Eisenman oh. is what I was saying. It's over Troy. being reasonable. You have each, it's on a silver platter. Evan, what if Kate is a boss? Instantly. What if Cade busts? I'm fine with that. And what if Jalen Green fine. is better? And fine. Then, not. And Troy decides, you know, I heard Evan's stupid letter and I'm going to take Cade. And then, but he really wanted Jalen Green and then oh, Cade busts. Evan's letter wasn't stupid. That is messed up. A <laughs> <laughs> letter was from the heart, man. Alex, you understand that you can take Cade. He stinks. Jalen's good. You keep your I just job. don't think I- you guys can just. Turn your back on the franchise entirely Watch me. No, if we don't draft Cade. Oh, I will. Watch I know me. Evan's serious. I said on, I said on the, more the lottery show, I said if we don't draft Kate Cunningham, I'm burning all my stuff. Add that to the list. No, you, Alex said that as well. Alex At the time, and then I thought about it. Uh, tape doesn't lie. No, I'm, I'm actually so now way more nervous for the draft just because of how Evan would react if you don't get Kate. It could it could ruin this podcast as we know it. Uh, it's going to be awkward the next couple of shows for sure. Wow, I don't even want to be here for the next show if the next show is not Kate Cunningham. It's going to be Alex going. You know, Jalen Green's pretty good. Evan and I going. Boom. It'll be a solo <laughs> podcast. We're back to me doing. No, we'll a solo show up. Podcast. We'll clock in for work. No, I'll clock in. I just won't say one word about them. I mean, knowing me, I'll probably go do a deep dive in Jalen Green or Molding, convince myself like they're good. But I know you would do that. No, Evan would be team. wearing a Bucks jersey I'm, and be done. He does have a team. He has a good team he can go to, go to. That just would be a cop. It'd out. be good to have some, you know, national perspective on this show. <laughs> wow. I think mainly like what I'm saying though is if they stay at one and take Green or Mobley, I'll be most disappointed. If they get a decent haul for the pick that I can justify, I'll be okay with it. Which transitions into our next topic is all the rumors, all the hubbubaloo, hullabaloo on the interwebs about who has been offered. Um, and and all this stuff, dude, it just catches so much steam. Like you hear rumor has it, and then it goes, people just turn that into reportedly offered. Like those are two, those are different things. A rumor and then reportedly offered, tagging the journalist who's reportedly offering it is like, it just escalates so fast. But I think the main one that I'll probably caught our attention was the Oklahoma City Thunder who have a boatload of picks that we talked about that Evan has been intrigued by the amount of picks they have. Um, They decided reportedly offered Shea Gilgis Alexander. We'll refer to him as SGA as people do in the league and the number six pick to us for the number one pick. And we declined it. This is pro city hoops tweeted it. They said via Matt Babcock, who's like a 12,000 follower reporter verified. I don't know about you guys. Whenever I see someone has like, the, I check. I base news off of follower counts for those kind of guys. Like, if you have over 10k, you're probably just not lying. So I kind of go off of that. So it seems it could be legit. Um, 
I feel like, not to be a hypocrite, I feel like I know where Alex is going to go with this one. Uh, no, you don't. People were split on it. I'd like to see what you guys think about this trade. And if you would have done it. And if you think it's real. <laughs> well, we have discussed this trade in our many trade hypotheticals. And I said at that time that I would consider it and that I do like SGA as a player quite a bit. And I could see and get behind accepting that trade. But I'm also totally fine with rejecting the trade. I don't think... I'm not sitting here reading that tweet thinking, oh my God, we needed him. I just think, you know, Troy doesn't want him. He thinks hopefully Cade Cunningham is much better. Then that's fine. GM cap on Alex. Would you do it? Hmm. It would, I would have to go through a full scouting process. I'd have to know exactly who's going to be there at six. Would you do it? Oh, you want to play a who's at six game? Let's play that game. Scotty Barnes is at six. Oh, eh, he might not be there. I don't see him getting to six. Well, I'm, I'm, guys, it's a it's a hypothetical. Work with me here. Okay. My bad. No, you're okay, good. He's there at six. Scotty Barnes is at six. I would probably do it. Uh, Kuminga's at six. No. Because think about it. We could always take Cade and then make this trade on draft night and say you get the rights to him, we get the rights to your pick and right. SGA. Agreed. So Kaminga, no. Um no projects for me. Davion Mitchell is at six. I like Davion Mitchell a lot. So you're yes on one, no on the other. I'm that would be. Davion Mitchell's falling a little bit in the draft from He is gonna fall. He is gonna fall. He's down into like the 11, 12, 13, that range a little bit more, but still I think, south. I think I would probably pass. James Boonight. No. Book Knight, I guess. No. 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 Um, anyone else? That- I think it's Scotty Barnes is definitely. You uh, do know Scotty Barnes cannot shoot, correct? Yeah, he's a good player, though. Okay. And he's you can always teach shooting. Ah. He's kind of. I might be scarred okay, by Ben, ben Simmons. Simmons. You can't. I mean, Markel Fultz figured it out. Come see, come saw. A little bit. <laughs> I, uh, I probably. Would do it with Scotty Barnes because SGA is a very good, like, high, it could be a high level all star in the NBA. I think that would work. And I don't know anything about Caden's NBA yet. So, do you think we could take the proven process? Do you think Cade Cunningham higher ceiling than SGA for sure? Higher ceiling. Yeah. Okay. All right. That answered my question. Jason Tatum level ceiling for Cade Cunningham. Okay. Maybe higher. Evan, would you take the trade? That personally trade, no, I would not take it. I, I think it's picks. a low ball offer from Oklahoma City. I mean, they're, we're only flip flopping, and we are getting a superstar. Don't get me wrong, but you also look at all the draft picks Oklahoma City has, and be like, "Hey, yeah. giving us two more first round picks is not going to hurt you." And I think we deserve it because we have what you want, and even the if, highest prize possession of the last like two years. Yeah, and even if we have to add a player on the end of it or a couple, you can take more any picks. expiring old guy from us. That's what um, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I get that argument, Evan. I do. So I did SGA's numbers. He's played three years in this league. He's 23 years old. He's very good. He's a very good player, it's objectively. Really good. Now, I would say, the, the, the I guess the argument for SGA taking it was like, if you want to win sooner than later, but then your window becomes tighter. Yeah. So SGA's year one. Because if you think about it, Cade could be on the trajectory of SGA. Maybe he could get better faster because he's going to have... Because, like, SGA in Oklahoma City, well, he was on the Clippers first and then Oklahoma City. And, like, he wasn't the go-to guy, really, until probably this, like, last 
year three when Chris Paul finally left and all, all that. He was, he was his team. His numbers were 11 points, three assists, three rebounds. And then year two was 19 points, three assists, six rebounds. And then this last year, 24 points a game, six rebounds, six assists, five rebounds. So very good player, 24 points a game. Cade can definitely get there at some point, but like we can't be surprised if Cade has like a 12 points per game, 15 points per game, five and five first year. You know, like he's not going to probably be averaging 20 points a game first year in the NBA. He could. I think there's a chance. Could. There's still Jeremy Grant on our team. I'd put it at and, but here's 50, the, 50 Here's the real rub. Here's the reason why we're turning this down, or I'm turning this down, is because – SGA is on the last year's contract and he's going to cost $30 million per year max, for like right? five years. He's going to need a max. That does hurt. But and we're going to be giving that to Cade in a couple of years anyways. Well, Cade's going to be like four years, $40 million ish He's going to be $10 million a year because the contracts for the first pick are like outrageous now. Like Anthony Edwards made four years, $44 million. That's so a nice, nice payout. You're saving $20 million for a guy that you think can get to that level on that same timeline, if not faster than that timeline. And that's why I think you just, like like Evan said, unless you get more, you just sit on it. Do I love SGA? Yes. Do I think you could get a good player at the sixth pick? Yes. But then it comes dicey, like Alex said. So I think that's ultimately why you sit on it. And then we get further clarification in an article from Jake Fisher. He wrote, Since drawing the top selection in June, Detroit has consistently messaged to rival teams which is weird he said rival, like not everyone's a rival. We'll be talking to Cleveland. It would need a first in this year's draft, future draft ammo, and an established young star. So if you look at those three boxes, SGA is the young star, first in this year's draft. They don't have that future draft ammo um, that Evan referred to and that Troy Weaver wants. Hope you guys are excited for Darius Garland. Some first-round picks and – you know, the ammo. don't think that's the young star that he's thinking about. Well, wouldn't be surprised. I would say. Could see some fireworks. I see here I wrote anything about other hypothetical trades or free agents. I don't know if you guys have any for that. I realize now, like, maybe it's easier to do free agency stuff after the draft because there's too many moving parts. Like, we don't really know what free Gotta agents. know who's on the team. Yeah, like, we don't know free what free agents we might need until after the draft. Yeah. Does that uh, seem fair? Yeah, no free agent talk, I think, this week, unless Evan's got The something. only free agents that I would say is based off of what we have currently, what we're going to draft Kate Cunningham would be like a, a post player. And I couldn't tell you any of the post players available. Um, everybody that I'm seeing, like, at least in the top 10, is like guards. Yeah. And everybody is supposedly going to the Lakers. I don't know where they're going to get all this money, <laughs> yeah. but every top free agent is like, yep, he's going to go to the Lakers. So like, Lakers, okay. Heat, Clippers, everyone's going there. Those three teams. Yeah. So. I can't blame them in good cities. Um, okay, so we're not going to do a full mock draft like we did for <coughs> the Lions because it's just not, it's not, it doesn't feel the same. Um, and we found out the Lions were almost tough. Deep in that draft, we were just, what <laughs> yeah, are we doing? Yeah, we can't do that. Um, I just want to, like, you know, if you look at a big board, you kind of see our second round picks, 37, 42, 52. Now is your chance to... Let the people know what kind of guys you like in that range. And also, if you thought of any trade packages, maybe you'd like to put together the move up to go target a guy, let's say like the late first round, GM caps. Um, sure, I'll go first. And I did the second round probables. Um, and once scrolling through the mock drafts, through my research, there's a bunch of mock drafts. And I, I don't think I found one that was even somewhat close to each other. 
Mm. I watched the mock draft special on ESPN. What was that yesterday, Saturday? Uh, it was either Sunday or Monday. Yeah, and they had so many different guys on there. And like, I looked up one mock draft, and like half of them weren't even on ESPN's mock draft. So there's some second round probables that I wrote down. Um, I don't know if they're even going to be in the second round available or whatnot. Just hypothetical in the range around 37, 42. Mm-hmm. Um, my number one target I would get is Corey Kispert. Damn. And people are going to say, I don't think he's, I don't think he's fallen into the second. I Now, I'm with you, but I'm pretty sure I saw a couple mock drafts where he does fall to the second round. Mm-hmm. Now, he still has to get to 37 to us. It's highly unlikely, but I think he has to be a prized possession um, at 37 or trade all your uh, second round picks and move up late into the first round. Okay, I can see that. Or you're falls. giving a team three for three second round picks. I know that 52 is kind of towards the middle end. Um, value's a little bit low, but if you're giving three picks for one late in the second round, might be like a playoff team that doesn't have cap that needs to get out of that spot. So Corey Kispert would be mine. He can shoot dynamic. It's all about spacing the floor, which I kind of like. And then the rest of the guys that I have on here, I couldn't really find like a decent post player that I like. So I kind of went out there and said, bucket getters who can guard multiple positions and who can score at will in the college game should translate to the NBA. Um, I wrote Ayo Kasumu, uh, Dwayne Washington Jr., Greg Brown from Texas, um, and Aaron Wiggins from Maryland. Hmm. Those are all the kind of guards, kind of 6'6 range. And then I also wrote down Jeremiah Robinson Earl, um, dynamic guy, plays multiple positions. He's a little undersized for power forward. He's kind of more like a Sadiq Bay. I don't think he'd shoot as well. But you're getting the same talent from the Villanova range, that cloth of well-rounded basketball IQ prospect. The cloth. So those are some guys I find like in the second round, the hidden gems. I like it. Uh, th- I take that back. I also wrote down Aaron Henry just because he Michigan State, fan favorite, whatever you want to say, and he can guard multiple positions. Fair. As you, as you should include him on. I had three guys that I would say. Okay. Uh, Joe Wieskamp from Iowa. We need shooting, three point shooter. He's a good size, so I think he f- would fit well in good Detroit. Size. Uh, I put Aaron Henry because, you know, we have to talk about him. He is an NBA athlete. He just can't shoot really yet, but I think he could develop that. So I think he could be uh, valuable on defense as well. And then the Western Kentucky Center, Charles Bassey. Okay. He's almost seven foot. Teach me about him. Ginormous wingspan. Uh, he played really well against power five opponents this year. And people were talking about him. I see he's got a Clint Capella comparison. And I think that'd be nice in Detroit. Uh-oh. And then the only other thing I would do is what Evan said. I would trade a couple second round picks to try to get into the late first. If Corey Kispert was dropping and to take him in the first, I also really like him because he can shoot and space the floor. I think he would fit well in the trade as well. Shoot well. I did. I actually tried to do one mock draft. I used like fanspo.com, it was called. Um, wasn't the best mock draft. I couldn't trade, which I didn't really want to. I just wanted to see who would be there in these mock drafts. And I came away with the third. I didn't do the 52nd. I actually had like a brain fart. I didn't even realize we had the 52nd pick until today and I added it to the show sheet. I thought we had 37 and 42. Yeah, hand up. So I took Brandon Boston from Kentucky. 
um, or BJ Boston nickname is like he was a high high school recruit athlete and just kind of Kentucky hit like Kentucky. So there's going to be some good players from Kentucky that come out of this draft that are kind of fall because of how bad their season was. It's like they have talent. They just didn't put it together. COVID, whatever. He was like the top, a top five recruit in the country, I think. And he's like six, seven shooting guard. I like the length. Troy Weaver likes the wingspan. I'm trying to think like our GM. And then at 42nd, Evan, you mentioned him, Greg Brown. Talk about a freak, freak athlete, power forward. We kind of need size, lanky. Uh, if you ever watch, he probably is the best high school highlight tape in the country outside of Zion, like just throwing down massive dunks over people. And he's just crazy athletic. And I think with, uh, Coach Casey, maybe a little John Beeline sprinkling development. You know, we can have this guy working on post moves and getting better. Um, besides that, in the range that I also like, I like Joe Wieskamp. Like Alex said, if we want to go a little bit older, which I know is kind of a no-no in today's society with draft, like people just love projects. Um, Herb Jones from Alabama, we saw them a lot in the tournament. He's a long, lanky kind of wing player who can shoot a little bit, pass, kind of did it all for them. I like him. And the guy that we've been linked to that I don't know if he'll drop anymore because he's getting steam is uh, Nashawn Highland from VCU. Um, watched a little bit of him like in conference tourney play. He like he's pretty good. I mean, he, there's there's always a guy from a mid major conference that kind of surprises you a little bit, and I think he could be one. Um, now, the guy that I absolutely cannot have us draft in this range. Are you guys ready? Cannot have Matthew Hurt drafted in this range. I will peek. Oh. I think he uh, stinks. Oh. I think he's good. Could no, be. Could be, uh, could be and, good. Which is crazy that Alex is saying that because he watched a real live game of him against MSU and he stinks. He can get hot from three, shoot it. It's a big guy. His release is bad. He he's just doesn't have good mechanics. Quick, but I don't know. He's like everything Corey. He's like everything. Corey Kisper is everything Matthew Hurt aspires to be and he's just not. He could carve a role in the NBA. Someday. Nope. Not on my team. Thomas Kithier strapped him. There's no way he makes it in the NBA. <laughs> We'll have to rewatch the tape. Uh, the way you said that, I agree. And I also I remember do like not that. like him at all. I do not want to say I don't like his person. Anywhere near my team. Now, what I really want to do, I like Greg Brown. If he's there, I'm cool staying. But I would like to package some of those picks um, and move up. And I was thinking like, okay, last year, what did we do? Well, last year was different because like we had Christian Wood that we kind of hung out there. And that's how we got Isaiah Stewart back in that pick. And then what we did for the 19th pick was a three-way trade. We got rid of Luke Kennard, um, just him, in a three-way, and got back the 19th pick for Sadiq Bey, which seems awesome now, like 19 for Sadiq Bey. So I'm looking at our roster, right? I'm like, all right, Siku Dumbuya. I, don't, I, I like you. I have hopes for you. Uh, I know this is sacrilegious because in our group chat, I said that I would be a Siku guy no matter what because I wanted to turn around. I'm cool if we trade him. And he's not a Troy Weaver guy. He's like one of the few. He's like the only Troy Weaver guy on the roster, non-Troy Weaver guy left on the roster. Um, what if we package him 37th and 42nd pick? I'm, I'm just thinking out loud. I wonder what that could get us. Could that get us into the back half of the first round? It's not going to get us in the lottery because he's not good enough for that. He's Because like, Luke Kennard was 15 points per game. But I have a guy that if you really want a guy, if you want Corey Kispert at like 18, Josh Jackson in a pick. I don't think he is going to garner enough value. Josh Jackson had 14 points a game. He's 24 years old. We revitalized his career. He was an alpha dog on this team. I, I'm cool with keeping Josh Jackson as a bench threat, but I'm also like, you know, we put Josh with a 37th and 42nd pick. How high can we go? I think teams are going to see that. I believe 
he will be a free agent after next year. And they don't need to get rid of a draft pick for Josh Jackson. And that's a good counterpoint. Just kind of talking out loud here. Yeah. So I'm going to say that won't happen. Is he? His, he's not enough. I think uh, Plumlee, Dembouye, 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 and a couple seconds is. But the thing, favorite. the thing about Plumlee that got me he's thinking established. when Evan was talking is like there's not enough prospects in this draft to refill that position because then you're just banking on 19 year old Isaiah Stewart carrying the load, which I'm we'll not. Have to sign I'm not ready to do. I'm not ready to let. We'll have to Isaiah sign Stewart a carry. JaVale McGee type of player. Uh, I'd rather keep. Th- uh, Triple double God Mason Plumley. Maybe. That's a later also, date. I have I found the tweet that you said didn't exist. No, oh, it was a DM. Yeah, it's a DM. And the guy sent his tweet. Oh. And it's right here. About Luca Garza. Yeah. And you tell me if this doesn't say that he wants to take Luca Garza number one. Okay. But we didn't have the first pick at this point. So hashtag Detroit up is how this tweet starts. Using the hashtag. Everybody is saying draft Cunningham with the number one pick. But I like Luca Garza from Iowa. He averaged 24 points per game, shot 55% from the field and 44% from three. Not many 7-1 centers you heard of doing that in Big Ten. Is a good, they are good stats, but it's just... So he did say that he would like right. Luca Garza number one. So there's someone out there. He, he listens to the show. He interacted with us. I will not trash him. I'm not trashing him. I'd love to have him on. You told me that he brain. didn't say that, so I put it out there. All right. Anyways, full circle here. Grant, you want to make this package. You want to move up. Who do you want? I got a guy for Evan. I think Alex will like him. Evan said you want bucket getters. I got a bucket getter for you. Cam Thomas from LSU. I don't know how much we've all collectively watched him. I I mainly watched his Alabama game. I watched him against Michigan. This was the guy who came out and made the first eight points, making ridiculous fadeaway shots. This guy knows how to get buckets. He averaged over 20 points a game as a freshman. He was a one-and-done blue-chip prospect. Like, I don't know how he'll work on a team. Like, I don't – like, because LSU, they just play free-for-all ball. Like, you can be selfish. I don't know how that fits into the NBA. But if you need a guy that can create his own shot, which is what the NBA is all about, this is your guy. Cam Thomas going in, like, the 20s and most mocks I'm looking at. If we can get up to get Cam Thomas and then hold on to the 42nd pick and take Greg Brown and Kate Cunningham, bravo. I'm ready to roll because he's another shooting guard for some depth. Uh, I think it'd be perfect. Cam's a hooper. Yes. I think he could be a solid NBA player. And I agree with everything you said. I just don't know how Detroit's really going to get back into the first. Hard to trade up. That's the problem. Everyone talks about how deep and good this class is. Maybe we just hang around. I hope Cam Thomas just falls in the second. Um, Not gonna any happen. last points? I, I do want to touch briefly on the Michigan and Michigan State players. You guys teased a little bit with Aaron Henry. But since we are shot at Michigan sports, we do have... Um, three total players I could see being drafted in this draft from from the school. So, um, yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so livers. I'll speak for the Michigan guys. You can ch- chime in too. Obviously, you guys know just as much as I do about them. Franz Wagner, the fit that I like, I-, I like if he were to go to the Warriors, probably at fourteen or even seven. Seven would be a little early, but I'm seeing. But at, if you like a guy, you take him there. Um, he would fit in well there. Kind of, kind of like that Andrew Wiggins replacement one day maybe they can move off Andrew Wiggins and he can be your lanky defender and give you a little bit of offense um he'd have Draymond to mentor him he'd have Wiggins to mentor him even fill in the Oubre role when he probably gets dealt or Memphis Memphis just moved into the top 10 people 
hopefully don't forget that people realize that he seems like a Memphis gritty guy, like not flashy, a Kyle Anderson esque player kind of moves at his own pace. I like that for him. I don't know if he'll be there at 10. Now who I hate for him, career enders, probably Orlando, Sacramento and OKC. Those are just like, I guess Sacramento is where you I guess guy. I'll see you when I see you. Uh, Franz, like I would hate that for him because those teams are just kind of—they just seem to always perennially be not good in my lifetime. Um, OKC was all right, but now they're a dumpster fire. Um, for Livers, I would say he's late, late in this draft. But there's a round of pick I saw mock near the Celtics. I think the Celtics would be a good organization to kind of grow in. You can learn under Tatum and Brown and kind of get a feel for how the small forward position, shooting guard position, is played in the NBA. And then. I'll dive in lastly on Aaron Henry. I'm going to say this. I don't think it, it might surprise you guys. If he's our 52nd pick, I won't mind it. I'm not going to like go crazy. I'm not going to take my shirt off. I just think he could be an energetic defensive bench specialist. I'm just thinking about sometimes when I play the 2K video game and you have a guy off comes in off the bench and gets steals for you and kind of runs the break with you. That could be him. I could see him throwing down a transition dunk after a steal like in a third quarter of a game this season. I'd take him and then just see what, like, again, we have, we're working on our player development every day. Maybe he develops more of a jump shot. What do you guys see for fits wise? Like good fits, bad fits, where you think they'll go? I think just one thing on Wagner I want to say before Evan goes is just, I don't feel as good about his NBA prospect, you know, as an NBA prospect as other people. Hmm. I just worry to see like how his game really will translate. He's not a super athlete. He's not really fast. He's not going to run the floor that well. So it just kind of makes me a little nervous of how he's going to get to the NBA. But he is a good shooter and he's a good defender, so he'll probably be fine. But I I feel like he might be going a little higher than I would place him. But that's all I'll say about that. Evan, you can go ahead. As we are now draft scouts and draft analysts, um, I think Wagner's going that high solely based on the size and his potential. He's still kind of young and PN, the word potential, like take a shot during the NBA draft every time you hear potential and you'll be drunk probably by like the eighth pick. Um, mm-hmm. so that's probably why he's going that high. Uh, I agree with you. If he goes to Sacramento, his career is going to die fast. I mean, he's a guy like all these prospects, um, not really, they scored in college level, but like going to the NBA, it's, a little bit different trying to score at will. So you kind of need these guys to go to almost like a playoff team. Hard to say that, but you want like a playoff team where they get brought underneath people's wings, how to do it the right way, the correct way, where it's not kind of like a sloppy organization. And I think that's where some guys struggle. It's a lot like the NFL where you you go to like the right situation at the right time and you'll see their careers take off in a better situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like Wagner. Like you said, at the Warriors, I think that'd be a great fit. Get rid of Wiggins' contract, um, and he can slide in right there. Uh, I think Kelly Oubre is a potentially a free agent, so potentially he could get more playing time. Yeah. Um, than some people would say Aaron Henry's in like the forty fifty range. I don't know too many people there, but I think it would be all right. Don't go to Sacramento. Um. And then Livers, obviously, if he's in the 60s, 70s, now you're getting second-round playoff teams. And I think if you find any of those playoff teams this year or that are around the bubble, I think it would be a good fit for him. That way you're not going to, like, a worse team and you're expected to play right away. Like, I like personally, 
speaking, I don't think Livers or Henry would succeed greatly on the Pistons in like the first couple of years. You'd have to give them like two or three years until you actually see their success on the court. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I'm going to make a bold prediction on Livers. I think based on how I see the picks lining up at the uh, end of the second, I think Livers ends up on the Pacers. Just feels like that's where he's going. They have pick 54 and 60. I think I think he ends up in one of those picks. That's just my bold prediction for the draft. And honestly, like I I wouldn't stun me if both those guys just had like role player bench roles in this league. Like I think with Livers, like his injuries derailed him like two years of college, and he was a 60, 60, 40, 90 guy, you know, shooting wise. So he can fill it up. Um and he's tall enough that he can be serviceable on defense. I wouldn't be surprised one day like he's on a makes his way to a good team and is just playing a good like off the bench role, you know, for a team in the playoffs one day. Um same kind of for Aaron Henry. He could be like your defensive stopper if you ever needed him in situations. Um I mean there's there's places for those guys. Like a PJ PJ Tucker. I know he's supposed to be a three point guy, but he can't shoot that well anymore. And then you saw what role he played in the NBA finals. Like just out there just playing physical defense. I think both of them can be solid role players on championship level teams. Yeah. So shout out our uh, college guys. They're about to get drafted. Hopefully they find the best situations possible. At least two of them are getting drafted. Yeah. Livers maybe. And now, without further ado, uh, we'll tee up. What you're about to listen to is our interview with PFF Director of Content, Austin Gale. Uh, We talked a lot of stuff here. And... um, you know, his background, PFS background, and also a lot of Lions talk. So buckle up from a national perspective how how people out there view the Lions. So enjoy that. All right. So join us now for today's show is Austin Gale. He is Pro Football Focuses, or better known as PFF, Director of Content and the host on Two for One Drafts Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Austin. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we're getting to see his ring like ring light experience for the first time uh, in person. Never seen one of those, really. The, the ring light was a necessary purchase in quarantine when everything was going on Zoom and all that stuff. So I have it now. It's here in the studio apartment, and we're, we're, we're benefiting. Look a lot better in the ring light, sure. Absolutely. Look good, feel good, podcast good, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> um, our first one, question for you today, some background, just so we're all familiar with each other, us and the listeners as well. Um, what is a brief description of Pro Football Focus and how it operates? Yeah, so Pro Football Focus, or PFF, was originally founded by a guy in the UK. His name is Neil Cornsby. And he was, I think it was early 2000s, he kind of said, you know what, like there's just not enough being looked at in football to properly evaluate players. You know, I think a lot of it back then was tackles, touchdowns receptions, yardage. I mean, we were starting to flirt with pass rating, but um, he felt that there was more opportunity to collect and track and analyze advanced statistics in football, things like missed tackles, forced missed tackles, yards after contact, drops. I mean, drops weren't even a thing 15, 20 years ago. And in addition to that, he wanted to like legit grade players, evaluate on-field performance and, and came up with a system to grade every single player and every single play in the NFL from a scale of negative two to positive two at 0.5 increments, negative two being the worst play you've ever seen, positive two being the best, and then zero being expectation, kind of what's expected of a player of an NFL, an NFL caliber, a league average player on that play. And with that, 
then started to add kind of more mathematics, people with mathematical backgrounds to take those raw scores and turn those into zero to 100 grades. Um, and originally it was meant to just really be a B2B you know, focus or business to business focus where, hey, we're collecting all this data, we're collecting all these, these grades and we feel like they're pretty sweet. Let's sell them the NFL teams. It was actually the Giants right before they won their first Super Bowl with Eli Manning that bought, not bought into PFF, but purchased or worked with PFF data in that and started to leverage that with some of the decisions they were making with, you know, trading and cutting and signing and starting players. And I think that with that Super Bowl came a lot of coverage and, and a spike in obviously NFL teams being interested. And then eventually Chris Collinsworth, who felt he could leverage the data a lot more in his broadcast, you know, broadcasting job and all that type of stuff. And his big push was let's take these grades that are negative two to positive two that no one understands and let's fit them to a zero one hundred scale that everyone in the United States understands, obviously the you know, letter grade type of stuff. Um, and start to really prioritize a consumer or content focused product where we're, we're that's the same data and grades that we're selling NFL teams. Let's do it and sell it to people who play fantasy football, who bet on the NFL, who are fans, et cetera. And that really dominoed very quickly. I think that was in 2016 where he really put a lot of push into content and the kind of consumer product offering at PFF. Um, and then he was said, hey, let's do this for college too. You know, how, how hard would it be to do it for every hundred? all 130 FBS teams. Let's do it for the CFL, XFL, AAF, all that stuff that's come up. And now it's really turned into this juggernaut where PFF is collecting and analyzing exclusive data and grades that are more stable year over year in the NFL and a lot of other metrics allowing for NFL teams and college football teams. We currently work with all 32 teams, 100 college football teams, and obviously, you know, a healthy amount of subscribers as well, offering exclusive data that you know takes the game forward. And I think the future for PFF and the real priority is to continue to you know, analyze football while also adding two new sports in the near term and rugby and soccer. Uh, we're probably going to prioritize other sports beyond that as well. And it's really to let's collect, analyze, and create really unique PFF exclusive data that is more stable year over year than the other data that you can collect in those sports to allow for not just teams and businesses to make decisions off that data, but also consumers who are obviously doing a lot of action or making a lot of decisions in football with betting and fantasy football and also uh, just also being entertained fans. That was long-winded and probably too businessy for what you're looking for, but uh, that, that's what I've got to start. No, I like it. I mean, it's a super fascinating company, at least in, like in my opinion, because like there was that hole in the market for an almost an anal- analytical authority in the game on um, how we're going to view players in that manner. And it's just so easy to, I mean, there's a lot of background work that goes into it, it sounds like, but it's nice having that grade. Like, I can't tell you how many times and just arguments amongst ourselves where I'll just cite a player's PFF grade and kind of use it as like the Bible and hope they don't challenge me on it and ask me like all the ways that it gets formulated. But I'm just going to tell you this number, good or bad, and kind of use that as my argument for it. Um, more shifted towards you personally. So we have the idea of the company as a whole. What's, what's your main role? Um, at the company, so yeah, I'm the I'm the director of content here at PFF. I work under George Chipri, our chief experience officer, to manage our content team. So obviously, there's this side of PFF that prioritizes, you know, selling you know the PFF exclusive data to NFL teams, to college football teams. We also work, work with a ton of agencies because um, they're making more business to business decisions. They're making decisions to go forward on fourth down, to sign players, to trade players, to draft players. Whereas I work on the content side. Where our goal is obviously our primary goal is to encourage people to engage with and subscribe to PFF. And while our market identifier is obviously this advanced stats and these grades that we can offer to all football fan types, whether you're a fantasy football player or better, 
or even just a fan um, and just enjoy going to the games and watching the games, we want to leverage that market identifier to engage all football fans. And um, a lot of that is obviously creating really exciting and engaging content and article, website, podcast, and video form and managing people like Mike and others to kind of get to that level, get to that level to where we're competing with and creating as good of content as an ESPN, an NFL network, uh, you know, Bleacher Report, The Athletic, et cetera, these competitors where we feel we can do content better than they can. And it's all about kind of setting expectations and managing people to a point where we can compete with that. And obviously, resources are an interesting piece of that. You know, PFF is still largely a startup. I mean, this past year, full transparency, we had 28 full-time people working on the content side at PFF, including myself. And if you're going to compete with ESPN with 28 dogs, it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> I think as we get better and add, um, you know, add more talent, we're doing uh, – you know, a lot of hiring right now at PFF to add to that content vertical as we see subscription revenue and other revenue streams on the consumer side improve. You know, you don't want to see this team when we have as many people as ESPN has in NFL media. And then as we add other sports as well, that obviously adds to um, you know, where we could go. So in a nutshell, it's really just trying to help PFF create the best content possible in those four, four major kind of mediums or podcast, video, article, and social content. That's where my mind's at every day. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a good background to kind of set the tone here for the rest of the the interview so people have a good um, idea of where you're coming from with with your analysis um, I guess the easiest way I think to transition here a little bit into line specific talk is the draft like you said you know PFF really branched out into the college space and I've even seen you've written like a fair share of draft articles uh, we did some digging in a good way on your Twitter account to try to find some lines tweets you've had in the past and I found one where you said your favorite 2021 NFL draft classes being the Chargers, the Bears, the Browns, and the Lions. So naturally, we'd like to know, what about that Lions 2021 draft class did you like the most? Yeah, I think a lot of that, honestly, is, you know, PFF, I think they did such a good job, you know, not necessarily prioritizing, you know, positional need in a lot of ways. I think when you think about, you know, what they did with the Peninsula I think a lot of people are like, man, receiver is a disaster. They put this seat this and the Tyrell Williams, this is not going to be a good receiving core for Jared Goff. It's like, dude, this team's not going to be good next year. You know, I think you have to, you have to have some self-awareness. We talk a lot about that on the podcast we have. It's like, have some awareness as a team in that you don't need to, you know, trade, you know, the Detroit Lions are one of the last teams in the NFL draft to have to, you know, to think about trading up and, and, and moving on from future resources to add, you know, their guy. You know, I think that's where, you know, I've kind of really liked what they did there. I also really like the Lee McNeil pick. I mean, he's the guy that came on the 2-4 Drafts podcast, a former linebacker running back uh, from North Carolina that went to NC State, had offers from Blue Blood programs like Alabama and others, but wanted to stay there. And it was it's probably one of the better nose tackle prospects in this class. They were able to get at a bargain, in my opinion. I think Levi Musarike has very high upside still. Not what anyone wants him to be yet. I think that's kind of been evident with what he was at Washington. But a guy that I think if you take, you know, he's a guy that is in the best shape of his life. He was another guy I talked to on the podcast that did not play in 2020, obviously opted out of the 2020 season with Washington. But he said he's got a completely different frame. And like what he's going to be is going to be completely different than what he was at Washington in 2019. And when you look at a draft class, you really do think about your first three picks or your top 100 picks being those kind of high impact high value opportunities for you to really strike gold. I think if you are banking on fifth, sixth, seventh round picks being those banner pieces in your draft class, it's very rare statistically for those people to kind of perform above expectation, but investing in the trenches, prioritizing high end talent, not forcing positional need is exactly how the Detroit Lions need to approach, needed to approach this 2021 draft because they're going to be competing 
for the number one overall pick this upcoming season. They're going to be looking at Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, potentially, you know, um, if they don't like those quarterbacks or they draft a little bit later, you're looking at a Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley. I think they don't, they're not, and they don't have the luxury of kind of finding that final piece to this team or the final pieces to this team. They're very much, especially with the coaching changes and those things in a little bit of a rebuild, a one, two, three year rebuild, ideally, hopefully I think the next step for them is finding that quarterback and being in a position to take one of these quarterbacks in a quarterback class where maybe it won't be as good as 2021, obviously with um, you know Trevor Lawrence and, um, kind of dominating the conversation there. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, five first-round quarterbacks. I still think there is a lot of talent in this class. Spencer Rattler, Sam Powell, I think are the two favorites to go number one overall. Likely will be top three, top five picks when it's all said and done. But there's other quarterbacks too. Carson Strong of Nevada, Malik Willis of Liberty, you know, Matt Corral of Ole Miss is drawing some buzz. Um, I think that's where my mindset goes. But if they don't get QB, uh, I'm a huge fan of the 2023 class too, with DJ Wormalele of Clemson kind of highlighting that class, who I think honestly – you know, you think about this Detroit Lions team, you almost want to hone in on him before you start to think about, you know, that second or third tier quarterback in 2022. So with that, I was just going to ask for 2022 draft prospects, who do you think is the best quarterback in your opinion? I, I think it is Spencer Rattler. I think from a tools perspective and a talent perspective, he is going to be the quarterback. You know, the quarterback. I think there are other quarterbacks that could make some jumps similar to what we saw with Zach Wilson. Obviously had a monster jump with a monster year at BYU. Uh, Joe Burrow had that freaking monster year for LSU in the year prior. You could see some quarterbacks jump like that. I think um, Keaton Slovis of USC, Carson Strong, Nevada, Malik Willis, Liberty. These are guys that are not being talked about as number one, number two overall picks. But in one really exciting year and with some buzz and with the physical tools a lot of those guys have, you could see them take that step. I think some people mentioned Brock Curry in that same regard. I don't. I don't think he has the tools or the physical talents to take that leap. But still, I think it's very difficult predicting quarterback classes the year before their final season because it is a very developmental-focused position where you kind of need to see in their ideal situation at their peak development in college with their ideally best supporting cast, can they get it done? And that's what the interesting conversation is going to be around Sam Howell this year. There's a very good chance – Sam Howell was not as good this year as he was last year. And losing Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. Yes, Mac Brown's still there. He's another guy I talked to recently that has a lot of faith in Sam Howell being ACC title competitive this year. It's easier said than done when you lose that much talent. And I think UNC has a lot of questions to answer at skill positions specifically before they're going to see Sam Howell really have success. Because even though it is a quarterback-driven league across the board, NFL and college football, you know, skill players still mean a lot, especially with how much they relied on yards after contact from Williams and Carter, yards after the catch from Newsom. This team is going to need to show up. They're going to need some talent um, from those guys that didn't necessarily participate last year in their run they had to show up this year. Evan, you got a burning question you want to get off your chest? Yeah, sure. Um, I know you're on the content side of PFF, but do you anyway know how difficult it is rating draft prospects? And if so, what position is probably the hardest to grade overall? Yeah, so you know, Mike and I work really closely to put together the draft guide content. Here at PFF. He is kind of the lead draft analyst at PFF who has final say on how this goes, but we do have a lot of conversation about where we're ranking players and, and, and where we want to position players on the draft board and so forth. I do think very difficult positions to grade, obviously quarterback, because so much of it is dependent, in my opinion, of you know, mental toughness, leadership qualities, what you're doing on and off the field. It's why Jamarcus Russell can be the number one overall pick. You know, some, or, um, you know, uh, in previous years, uh, I'm trying to losing Ryan Leaf. You know, there's, there's work ethic issues that 
as an outside party, as you know, like as me or Mike, it's very difficult to kind of get on board with that. And while we are prioritizing more interviews in our content to get a sense of what these players are, we really don't know a player's work ethic until you get into the nitty gritty or have sources and coaching staffs and stuff like that to really understand like where this players can go. So I do think quarterbacks obviously very difficult. It's one of the, and there's a reason there's only a handful of good ones in the NFL, and there's a reason it's one of the highest kind of bust rate positions at the top of the NFL draft. I think another position is, you know, or positions are you know, specifically off-ball coverage players. You know, when you're looking at linebacker, safety, just because you're given such few opportunities in when you're targeted in college that it's sometimes very difficult to go back and, and scout those positions because you, you know, it's, it's so scheme-dependent too, like how this player was leveraged, how he was utilized, the level of competition he's going against. I think I'll struggle often with linebackers and safeties and they're used in a specific role or not given a ton of opportunities, not given a ton of targets and coverage, going to be used completely different in the NFL. It can be very difficult with that. But I do think the easier positions, I know you didn't ask, but I do, I do think the easier positions are the ones that do get close to the ball um, and, and where there's more binary wins and losses, you know, D-line, O-line. You, you, you know, PFF, some of the most stable data PFF collects is offensive line and defensive line data, both at the college and NFL level, because wins and losses are so much more clear cut there. You know, and, and at linebacker or at safety, it's difficult to to assign a win and a loss a lot of the time because you're not always involved in the play. You know, you're you're not you don't know if it was a scheme a scheme miss or necessarily a player miss and that stuff. So I do think safety and linebacker would be the, the positions I highlight first as some of the harder ones to scout. So my next one, not to throw you into the show's personal fire here, but we actually had a debate on this show probably two or so weeks ago. We've been doing our top twenty five players of the Lions, uh, kind of counting down five players at a time until we reach one towards the start of the season and i would say he's one of the more controversial players on the team not just between fans you know and again kind of doing some some background on your twitter here i saw from april 2020 that you were a jeffrey okuda fan Um, now at the time the tweet specifies in matt patricia's man heavy scheme we now know that's no longer going to be the case but uh alex in the chat here he is selling Jeff Okuda stock into year two. I'm buying all of it. Um, just curious to see where you land on his second year. I mean, I think there's a lot of reason to want to buy Jeffrey Okuda's stock. I Love mean, it. He was an excellent, excellent man corner at Ohio State. He is physically uber gifted from an athleticism size wingspan perspective. And you can't, in my opinion, especially talking to these coaches, um, you know, both at the collegiate level and the NFL level, other players as well. You can't understate just how screwed a lot of young talent was. A lot of rookies last year were with the COVID impacted season and the Zoom classes they had instead of practices. I do think you're going to see a lot of different players, both good and bad. You know, I think an underrated conversation for 2021 is how are these rookie quarterbacks going to respond to, you know, completely full stadiums on a, on a way turf? Like that's going to be different. For Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, where you have to go into a rowdy stadium and win on the road when everyone's kind of cheering and screaming in the stands. That, that matters. I mean, home field advantage is a thing for a reason. And a lot of that is, you know, obviously fan-focused and pressure and these types of things. But, you know, travel is a part of that, and that didn't necessarily go away with COVID. But I am interested to see, on the positive side, a lot of these rookies, you know, linebackers were really bad last year. Patrick Queen looks slower than he's ever played before. That obviously has to improve for him. I think you see Jordan Brooks improve for Seattle. And cornerbacks, man, it was very rare to see any quarterbacks have any, like, game-to-game consistency. Even Jalen Johnson, who had a lot of success last year, you could see a lot of mental errors on his tape, still thinking a ton. 
Um, Luxurious C for Kansas City, who's one of the better performing rookie cornerbacks, I think still takes a step forward because you're just going to have so much more opportunity to one, adjust to the speed of the game, and two, you'll really get an opportunity to work with coaches and develop, you know, without Zoom classes and without masks and these different things. So that way you're actually able to improve your skills. And I also think his confidence will be a lot better. I mean, last year they were throwing him into the freaking slot against Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins. Like that, no one was coming out of that situation with a ton of success. And I think he didn't play a ton of the slot at Ohio State. You talked to, you know, I talked to, um, what, Chris Harris Jr. a couple, I think a year ago. And he's like, I don't understand why outside quarterbacks get glorified. You know, they don't have two-way goes like we do. You know, you got two-way goes, man coverage in the slot is so much more difficult. And oftentimes, if you're not in a, in a zone-heavy scheme, the most difficult to cover. You know, there's a reason why, you know, when you when you look at these man-heavy schemes, they ask their best cornerbacks to shadow because you don't want your slot cornerbacks working on DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, these guys that are working more than 50%, 60% of their snaps from the slot. I mean, Julio plays a ton from the slot. Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams. Um, uh, Keenan Allen is a slot monster when he puts it, he's put in that position. So I do think that Akuda was given a bad break, and he has nowhere to go but up. I think the bigger question is just how much does he improve? I think – I think it'd be awesome to see, given the you know, pre-draft expectation, to, to him ball himself up significantly. But even if you see significant improvement into, in, in a PFF grade perspective, into the 60s, into the 70s, that's a step in the, in the direction that I think should encourage a ton of Detroit Lions fans. Simple yes or no on top of all that. Do you think he's a top 15 player on the Lions? Yes. I mean, this Lions roster is atrocious. I think that is a a tough situation to be in. I think you have to, I mean, because it's also (laughs) how you're assessing talent. You know, I think you have to assess talent long term. You know, I think there might be some better veteran players, but maybe you're on the longer end of the tooth. But um, this is a very bad roster. It's arguably one of the worst rosters in the NFL. I think the only reason, you know, the Texans are in a position to where, you know, they have a lower win total according to Vegas is because obviously the quarterback situation is still TBD with um, the civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson and whether or not he's going to play in Houston. You know, I think. To a point, Jared Goff is probably one of the more underrated players. I've had that conversation with Mike on the podcast and that he has gotten to a point where he's been, I don't, I'm not saying he's a top 15 quarterback in the NFL, but my goodness, he should not be, you know, under center for a team that has the second lowest projected win total just ahead of, you know, a Deshaun, Deshaun Watson led Houston Texans team. I think he's a lot better than that. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes, but I would not be surprised if the Detroit Lions shock a lot of people and that they don't pick, you know, inside the top three or top four and actually have, you know, a five, six, seven type of pick in 2022. That was going to lead into my next question. It just seems like there's been a lot of lists that are hating on Jared Goff a little bit. I was just wondering your take on Jared Goff and if, if he could theoretically be a top 15 quarterback this year, or, or is that just no chance? I, and top 15 would be tough just because I do think that, you know, there's a lot. I and mean, when Sean McVay is willing to move on from you as aggressively as, as they did for what is an upgrade in Matt Stafford, but not a significant one. I do think that's very telling of what Goff is capable of and what's got, what Goff is capable of without McVay. I mean, it's a joke on NFL Twitter, how much of a puppet, you know, he was with the strings that McVay was pulling. But I mean, does that mean Jared Goff needs those strings? And if given more freedom, what does this Jared Goff look like? I don't, I, I can't imagine it's a train wreck that some are projecting. Like, I do think that Jared Goff, with the experience he's had in the NFL, is not going to regress to what we saw his rookie season. I think a lot of people think that. A lot of people think, you know, you know his one year without McVay, with Jeff Fisher, it was an absolute disaster, called a bust by many people then. That's what we're going to see in 20, you know, this upcoming season. I, I, I'm not behind that. I, I don't think we're going to see that bad of a Jared Goff. It's not going to be as bad as what we saw from maybe Carson Wentz last year, who I thought was maybe arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. I do think Goff is better than that. Is he a top 15 quarterback? Maybe he doesn't get there, but 
I mean, Lions are going to benefit. I mean, not necessarily benefit from a draft order perspective, but they're going to see, you know, they'd see more wins than a lot of people are expecting if Goff was even a top 20, top 18 type of quarterback in 2021, which easier said than done with the receiving core. But I think another underrated part of the, the Lions is that offensive line. Like that offensive line is showing, you know, showing up to be one of the more competent ones. I think they're going to see some second year development from Logan Stenberg. Um, I think they also have really good tackles. Obviously, Panay Sewell being added there. I think there's they have an underrated um, offensive line if DeAndre Swift can progress as well. I think there are more question, you know, there are more question marks at receiver, but still, I, I, I do not think they should be as hated on as maybe some other media's are, are, are suggesting. Yeah, I mean specifically too, like, and again, we will all, the beautiful thing about the sport is we'll get to see when the season plays out, but. The one on the list Alex was talking about was was beautiful for this show. I like we loved it because it gave us something to talk about. And guys fired up. It was uh, from Bruce Gradkowski at PFF. His uh, and it may have, his list may have changed, but it seems like you're more on our side because on that list, Jared Goff was 26 in the league, and all of us were like, "Well, are we just way off on this guy?" And you know, think about like you said, top 15 because you see names in the top 15 on this list. Like, I don't think Jared Goff necessarily is going to be better than Justin Herbert by any means or your Tannehills who's gone there. I mean, even Stafford, you know, like Jared Goff's not in that tier. But when you see some names like Justin Fields and Taysom Hill, Winston Combo and Wentz, like we start like, is that really where he's going to be at? And it just kind of goes like, I don't know in your perspective too, is like this massive shift that's happened from Jared Goff from 2018 when they were dominating. And I just think back to the chief shootout game, the Vikings game, and then we landed here and it's like, there's a, he's a different guy. So it, kind of that progression, like, what do you, what do you really think is like happened there? So, I mean, I think a lot of it is Sean McVay is well aware of what his ceiling is with Jared Goff mm-hmm. from an off, uh, from an offensive efficiency standpoint, from a big play standpoint. And that is what drove him to go chase another guy. I don't think it was necessarily him afraid of his, the floor. It was afraid of the ceiling. I mean, and I think that's the same thing the San Francisco 49ers saw. Jimmy Garoppolo was a competent quarterback, same as Jared Goff, took him to the Super Bowl. But you know what the ceiling is with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what the ceiling is with Jared Goff. And I think when you talk about the roster construction and, and trying to build you know, Super Bowl competitive teams, you can't win a Super Bowl consistently. And that's the goal. People forget. The goal in the NFL is not to win a Super Bowl. The goal in the NFL is to win, to be consistently competing for Super Bowls. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, obviously Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, those are teams that could since consistently competed for Super Bowls. And those teams obviously had Super Bowl competent or Super Bowl competitive quarterbacks. That's not Jimmy G. That's not Jared Goff. And I think that, that the NFL as a whole would agree to that. Obviously, the coaches respectively agree to that. So they went to go chase a higher ceiling than Matthew Stafford. So with that being said, you know, the Detroit Lions don't care about Jared Goff's ceiling. They know that they this roster isn't good enough to win with Jared Goff. And they are aware of what his ceiling is. But his floor is going to make this team a lot better than I think people think. And I think that's where... The national narrative has completely destroyed Goff because um, you know he did not play the expectation. He was traded away from you know nothing, and they got two first round picks. I mean, they got you know with Matthew Stafford and stuff. I do think that um, the national narrative has dumped on Jared Goff wrongfully, and that his floor is still good. He's going to be better than the Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston combination, in my opinion. I think he's going to be better than a lot of rookie quarterbacks this upcoming year. I, I think the Denver Broncos situation is obviously worse than what Jared Goff brings to the table. So I do think that you're going to see. It better than what people expect, Jared Goff. However, that's still going to be a team that you know barely scratches over five, six wins. Got it. Uh, Alex and Evan, throw it out to you guys for any of your last ones before I get my last one in here. 
I would say one more interesting person. I know you touched on him a little bit with the offensive line, but DeAndre Swift, is he able to be top 10, top five, like PFF grade this year with the offensive line and his ceiling? Absolutely. I mean, I think what's great about running backs too is a lot, there's a lot of volatility with, you know, grading and grading well. A lot of it is dependent on, you know, opponent box count, how successful your offensive line is. And, you know, to peel back the layers a little bit on how you grade well as a running back is forcing mixed tackles, gaining yards after contact, and really you know, gaining yards above expectation. I think DeAndre Swift was our number one back in that class out of Georgia. We really liked what he could do. And his force was tackle rate at Georgia, in my opinion, was not – a just number because there were so many times on his tape to where he was beating people's angles to a point where they couldn't even, you know, attempt to tackle and he couldn't even log a force miss tackle. So I do think that we were higher on DeAndre Swift than a lot of others were as well. I think that's another situation where rookie, you know, rookie coming in with a lot of high expectations with Zoom classes and, and a COVID impacted season, it's very difficult to live up to those. You're going to see a lot more confidence from DeAndre Swift this year. You're going to see a lot more confidence from the Detroit Lions coaching staff. From him and obviously a more improved offensive line. I would not be surprised if DeAndre Swift is one of the several kind of like reasons to turn the Lions on type of players for them this year. Mm -hmm. My final question kind of leads up or follows that up a little bit. Who do you think the best player on the Lions is right now? Man, that's tough. I mean, I want to think about this is a cop out here because they don't think he'll be the best player on the team in 2021. But the player I, I would, I mean, you know, I would call like a core building block and the number one building block is Panay Sewell. Because I do think, you know, with the pre-draft process, we talk about Panay Sewell as this kind of once-in-a-generation off-of-the-tackle prospect, the guy that did things at the Power 5 level at 18, 19 years old that we've really never seen. And I think he can be an Ogden type. But when you think about positional value, we have this conversation with a ton of PFF, is that, you know, Jonathan Ogden doesn't move the needle as much as you think it does when – you know, offensive line is largely a weak link unit and you're looking to have completeness, not necessarily eliteness along the offensive line. But I would say, you know, pound for pound or just, you know, throw the positional value out the window. I think he is, a, you know, objectively one of the, if not the most talented player on this Detroit Lions roster. Offensive line, however, the developmental curve in the NFL, you oftentimes see, you know, players take one, two years to really progress. Tristan Wirfs is an obvious outlier. But if I had to pick a player to have a, you know, a Tristan Wirfs-like type of season, I think Sewell is more than capable of that. All right. So the final one here before we let you go is talk to all the players, talk the philosophy and everyone likes to give them and they're usually never right. But if you had to put a win loss prediction for the Detroit Lions in the first ever 17 game, 18 week season, what would it be? I think a lot of me wants to float around this six or seven win. And because we're on a Detroit Lions podcast, I'm going to go more positive. I'm going to say seven and uh, what is it? Seven and 10. Yeah. Seven and 10 in regular season, I think is where my mind goes. And I think that's going to shock people. That's not a good season. You're not going to the playoffs. But that I think will shock people. I think they win seven, those seven games this upcoming season on a 17 game schedule. And uh, there are going to be teams that go into Detroit or uh, have Detroit come to them. And they're like, man, they're up, you know, they're, you know, seven, 10 point, you know, favorites. But I think they're going to take some L's, man. I think this coaching staff is different. I think this this roster has gotten to a point where it's underrated. Jared Goff gotten to a point where it's underrated. It's not a good roster. I spoke to that, but still, maybe not as bad as maybe how Vegas sees it or how others see it as well. Well, people can call it a loser mentality all they want, but I would take seven and ten. I would take it. <laughs> seven would be great for this team. That'd be nice. And then maybe that'll give people enough stuff to talk about that the whole kneecaps thing starts to die down. I mean, over under how many times we're going to hear that every week is going to be. Talking about an overplayed joke. That joke wasn't funny after day one. I don't no. know how we continue. I, I've had that conversation with Mike. It's like, dude, how, how many more times are we going to try and swing that back? Because it is just an awful. Yeah. It was funny initially. 
Yeah. And when that video went viral or whatever, that was great. Every single comment that brings that up since then has been horrendous and just honestly lazy. But uh, I'm not even a Detroit Lions fan. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Like you said, the first time you saw the clip, share it with your buddies. Like, look at this, like making a splash. And then after that, it's like, all right, we get it. Like a coach says some crazy things sometimes. <laughs> but uh, like we said, appreciate it, Austin. Um, towards the end here, obviously any uh, plugs that you have for, for your podcast, PFF, go ahead and uh, get out there now for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely you know, encourage you to go to pff.com. That's where, where I always go. You can follow me on Twitter, pff underscore Austin Gale, G-A-Y-L-E. Listen to two foreign drafts, fun podcast on you know the NFL, the draft, and rookies. And encourage you to listen to this podcast. Continue to do it. Obviously, uh, Detroit, Lions podcast, Detroit Lions fans, continue to listen to this one. It's a, it's a, it's a good podcast. And I'm excited to be on. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate thank it. you for your time. Thank you, Austin. Of course. Thank you. Now... Uh, we have two two things left. One quick one, one kind of uh, one main topic one. Alex's rumor mail segment of the week presented by Codes Apparel. I'm going to try to throw a layup for you guys this time. Codes Apparel, area code city, Tecumseh, Michigan. I won seven. Uh, seven, one, five. <laughs> Got one. All right, that felt good. And they'll be, it'll be tougher next week. But Codes Apparel, C-O-D-E-S-A-P-P-A-R-R. El.com for all your Michigan area code needs. Um, shot Michigan sports apparel as well. Uh, hoodies, long sleeves, t-shirts, variety of colors for all the area codes in Michigan, even ones without the area code if you just want the state in a cool color way. Um, go on there and see what you got. Free shipping on orders $75 or more. Now, Alex, your rumor. Well, there's a lot of rumors going around, you know, it's draft week, so of course there's going to be tons of rumors. But I wanted to keep this week's rumor mill segment uh, Detroit-based only, Pistons-based specifically, just to instill some fear in people like Evan. I heard on the radio the other day, 97-1, the ticket from Mike Valenti. His rumor from an inside source, he claims, was that Jalen Green, when he had his workout for the Pistons, wowed the entire staff. It was a Donovan Mitchell-esque, not missing a shot type of workout where Pistons uh, personnel were just floored by his athleticism and ability. And also he spoke extremely well, definitely made his bed in the morning, every morning. And there's some serious smoke that uh, Troy Weaver and the coaching staff fell in love with Jalen Green that day. Take it for what you will. I'm sure he did wild them. He has sweet dunks. So don't be shocked. Thursday night. I will I'm be. warning you right now. That might be my least favorite rumor mill ever. I didn't think you'd like it. But people need to know. People needed to know that. All right. No words from Evan because he will not talk Pistons if we talk no, to him. He's not going to stoop to that level. He's a man of integrity. He wants to talk about the Detroit Red Wings. Draft season, baby. Full swing. We just wrapped up our draft. Uh, the draft took place on Friday and Saturday. Does that sound right? I think it was a two-day affair. Close. It was long, dude. Thursday, Once Friday, it, Saturday? They, they beat around the bush so just long Friday. on the NHL draft coverage. It's unbelievable. It's like, just announce the pick, my guy. Are we going to shout out the Michigan players in the top five? I was about to. I was just going to get in briefly, like, shout out Michigan hockey um, high expectations to win this year. Remember, folks, everyone's like, why didn't they win last year? They got COVID. My dad asked um, that. But also, they didn't have a great Big Ten regular season, which is a fair gripe. 
But, you know, when you have guys that good, like they're probably just like, let's just wait till the postseason and just ball out. And they got COVID. Um, but they probably will. If all those guys come back, which they said they might, they're going to be disgusting. So maybe I'll watch some more Michigan hockey. I haven't watched a ton. How of are they all going to come back if five of them just got drafted in the first round? It's like you go back, back to like college. MLB where you yeah, but I figure if they're in four of them in the top five, I would you rather like play for college. Michigan or like the other team we draft from Fort London, Russia? Like what? I mean, I'd rather just play in Michigan. Go to Sticky Ricks and I, I don't when get drafted. Those teams still own their rights. No, I understand. So they'll still have to lose. At like right when the hockey season ends, they'll go right right away. I just don't see them all returning to Michigan. But that's just me. I don't either. So yeah, I mean, it, it could be an all or nothing thing. I don't know. Well, at least one. But the Hughes kid has to go. He hasn't even like played a season there yet. He doesn't have to, I guess, but he probably will. He hasn't experienced it. Um, but briefly, not too briefly, it depends on how, Evan, you want to get into it. Uh, we made a trade before the draft, which involved the draft because we got some draft picks. Robbery. Um, Alex Needle-Jakovic. I'm going to call him The Needle. I think that's a sweet name. I'm going to call him The Needle or Needs, Needler. I don't know. Can't say that name all the time. I'm just going to call him Needle. Um, some people are saying that he has a great save percentage in the regular season and like led – you know, I I post we posted the tweet like he led the league in save percentage and uh, goals against average, I believe, which are pretty good, pretty big stats. We've talked about save percentage before, Evan. You've taught Alex what it necessarily means, even though I knew what it meant. <laughs> yes. Um, How do you see this trade, Evan? Um, I had the notification pop up, and then I did my research when I got home. Uh, and we fleeced Carolina. <laughs> into trading for a playoff caliber goalie that solidifies that position for the next two to three years. Um, he's the one. A now, right? Oh yeah. He's the, he, he's the guy. He's our guy. Now, he's our going guy forward now. for the next two or three years based on whatever. Now we look at the draft. So we'll get to there. Um, but he, like he said, he led the Carolina to a playoff team and he was available. Now, Doing a little bit of research, listening to some things. Carolina is known as like the owner and GM and front office of not overpaying for goalies. Okay. So they don't like paying super high goalie price. And so that's why he was on the trade market. Now we barely gave up anything for him. We gave up, a, I believe, a second round pick and then rights to, to Bernier. Uh, yes. Our, yeah, our about to be free agent goalie. And, Correct. And a bag of peanuts. We threw in the bag. Of nice one, Alex. Correct. Felt good to get that one. Um, and I think this was more of a standpoint where somehow Eiserman found out that he was available and he tested the waters. And it was kind of where Carolina's dumping this guy away for nothing because they don't want to pay him. It's like um, when you submit a trade in a video game, like you roll bomb, like, yeah, let's just see what they say. And they accept it. And you're like, what? Eiserman yeah. said he was surprised. He's like, you'll have to ask them why they accepted. I don't know. Or why he was on the market, I believe is what he said. I think why they They're accepted. Like, no, don't, we don't want to get – we're Let's not fake news. They said – it fake They news. asked him, why, were you surprised or why do you think Needle, Needle was on the market? He goes, you'll have to ask Carolina. That's kind of – in the cheeky tone that Steve Eiserman likes to do. He was surprised. Carolina's on a salary dump. They're trying to get rid of a bunch of players. They traded like two more players away. Um and we're lucky enough to swoop in and draft one. And this helps the rebuild. This is going to help the team currently. We're still a couple of years away. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, but trade, fantastic. We won it 100%. Love it. Now, for the actual... And I agree, too. Like, I remember everything I read. I was like, I like this Sweet guy. Nice job. Um, so now, the draft itself. 
Briefly, just a couple top guys, Simon Edvinson, defenseman with six pick, Sebastian Kosa. 15th pick, we trade up. Uh, Shea Bowie, Shea, yeah, Shea Bowie, I think is how I heard him say it. Uh, defenseman, round two, 36 pick. And Carter Mazur, left wing, center, Red Savage, best name in the draft. After that, go look it up. But top four picks we had here, Alex has his hand raised. So I'm just going to give my draft thought really quick. Okay. It's just going to be one. I just have one thought. I like it. I don't have a ton of. Quick and to the point. I'm not going to lie. I can't put NHL draft analysts in my Twitter bio yet. But the only thing I'll say that I disliked, even though I don't really because I do trust Steve Eiserman, but um, our guy Eklund fell to us, correct? And then we didn't take him. Evan, I would like to hear your thoughts on why we didn't take him and was that a bad move? Love it. Um, I have these points written down. It was all over the Twitter sphere. There's a bunch of Red Wing fans absolutely wanting to fire Iserman after we passed them. I wouldn't do that. Like the Tigers. I would not do that. A Tiger situation. Correct. Um, and I look at this stance point where you're going into the draft and Iserman stuck to his plan of what he wanted accomplished and he got like a couple of his guys. Edvinson, you know what you like, what you dislike. I dislike kind of how we moved a lot, um, gave up little assets. But when you have a bunch of draft picks, you're able to do that. So I get it. I do like how you stuck to a plan, and it seems like we went with it. We passed on Eklund because I think we prioritize defense where there's more better defensemen, and you can. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, I would say it's kind of harder to mold or transition defensemen into the NHL quicker based on like the talent gap and we need that position. And so I was doing research watching the NHL draft and you, you break down of like recent drafts and I'm gonna say why we should have passed on Eklund, which I don't blame him for it. So since twenty thirteen, all the way through twenty twenty, so not counting this draft. Okay. Uh we drafted in the first round every single year. And we only took two defensemen in 16 and 2019. And, and 19 was Eisenman's first draft. Correct. And so 13, we took a right wing. 14, we took a center. 15, we took a left wing. 17, we took a center. 18, we took a right wing and a center. We had two first round picks in 18. And then obviously last year we took Lucas Raymond. And so it's not like we don't draft offensive players that can score. Yes, it's a big need on the team, but you have Rana, you have a couple guys coming back, and now you have all those draft picks coming through the farm system, hopefully soon. You need defense, and you pair them up with Cider. I mean, you have a big front line. I mean, this kid is, I think, 6'4". Um, Cider's right around 6'4". Now you're building a first line for the defense going forward. I'd love to pick. Absolutely. He was one of the top defensemen in the draft. You got him at six. He passed. Did that uh, feel your question? Yeah. So you're okay Alex. with it? Absolutely. I'm 100% okay with it. Based on what you said, I'm okay with it. It's just, it's just not a sexy pick. Everybody wants to goal score because that's how you win, obviously. But it, going forward, you're going to have to eventually play defense. And I think it was just a smart pick to get one of the defensive guys. And that was like the top position you see all bunch of defensemen go i would like to say also i was never on the fire iserman i mean always you know trust the iser plan i'm very firmly still on that and i wasn't mad about the pick i just know we talked about him and you mentioned he probably wouldn't be there then he was and then we didn't take him anyways so that's why 
I mean, now going to our next pick, I was shocked that we moved up. Yeah. I was shocked that we took Kosa um, with the goalie that we mentioned that we might take at six with Wellstead still on the Jesper. board. Um, everybody that I've been seeing, it was like those goalies were a little bit interchangeable based on who you talked to, but Wellstead was kind of more the favorite to be at one because he had more experience and he played tougher competition. However, you look at uh, Kosa's just build. He's 6'6" left-handed catch glove, um, a little raw. He's super young. I think he's 18 or 19. And so now you have a project for five years. You just traded, you just drafted a, not trade, you traded for a goalie, excuse me. So now you have time to let that goalie develop in your farm system. Where you draft well centers, I think there's more pressure going forward to him to play right away because he's more ready. Makes sense. So we still um, have to, I think I knew this, but like we still have to have a 1B goalie for like a couple of years. Like we need to find something to back up. Neil. Correct. We traded, I'm always going to get this wrong because there's two of them. So that's with the traded, G, Grice? We have yeah, Thomas so we Grice. have Bernier is still on our team. No, he's Bernie, he, yeah. we just gave the rights to him. We traded him. So we have Grice we have on the team, Grice. excuse me. Yeah. So Grice is on the team and then you have Needle is coming over to be the 1A. Yes. Yeah. The um, Kosa kid, Briefly here, just on my whole like overarching for the draft is I took away that like I like this draft a lot as long as we go out at some point and use our free agent dollars we're saving up for offensive guys, which I'm hoping that is the Iser plan. Trust the Iser plan. And I think so. Um, but going forward, there's one quick point I want to say. Iserman, this is his third year drafting with the Red Wings. Yep. In Iserman's third year drafting with Tampa Bay. Identical draft. I don't know if he did this by chance or he looked it up. Identical draft. Wow. Eisenman's third year in Tampa Bay. He had two first-round picks. First pick, he went defense. Second pick, he went goalie. You know who goalie that was? Probably probably that guy. Vasilevsky, who's probably the best goalie in the NHL right now. Are you going to question him on picking a goalie in the first round? Nope. I don't think I would. I don't think I'd question him. Tampa Bay just won back-to-back Stanley Cups. I wouldn't question Eisenman because he built that team. How do, you, how do you do? Uh, yeah, and I like intangibles. He's six six, uh, huge. Like so, just standing there, he's taking up a lot of the net. Um, he had a point nine four five save percentage in his uh, in his league, which is very impressive. That's you know get into the ninety five percent range of saving pucks is unbelievable. Um, Played in a weaker competition, didn't play as often. Just so you know, good to know as well to balance it out. Um, the other thing I'm going to lean on here again, we saw his appearance on. For the preview, went back to the well on uh I asked him what he wanted to be called. One of our one of our fans on Instagram, Pods Wing Insider Liam. P W I L Liam. Uh he the only negative he had on Kosa from whatever he's seen is his rebound control is a little suspect sometimes, but that's okay. We can work on that. Um but can't be given up juicy rebounds, number one rule in any right, but when you have sweet defensemen who can get rid of it, that's okay. Thank you, Grant. <laughs> um but overall, it seemed like he liked the defenseman picks. He did say about Edmondson that he's a smooth skater, which I think is huge. When you have these tall guys, you don't want them to look like baby deer on ice. So if you can skate well, that plays out. And he also agreed with you, Evan, that him and Cider are like the perfect mesh with Edmondson being a lefty to kind of um, run. It feels like Eisen is trying to build our blue line like it's the Berlin Wall or like the Great Wall of China. Like we just want men, tall men at the... Tall men, with, tall men with Swedish baby faces, um, you know, kind of just sitting there. And that, that also have offensive talent that aren't just like mushes when trying to clear the zone. So I think that's the strategy. 
Again, Redmond Savage on the name alone. Love it. Don't really need to see him do anything else, to be honest with you, other than the Red name. Savage. Like that name is going to be in the playoffs. So that kid's already going to make our team. An interesting point, Evan, I was doing a little bit of digging at our past first round picks because the Svechnikov, Svechnikov, look at that pronunciation, news happened that we got rid of him, Evgeny. And you talked about those Ken Holland picks and the forwards. I think like four out of the six of them we don't even have on our team anymore because we've identified them as like not even being worth our time. So that just tells you that Count Holland was out there just out to lunch on some drafts. Um, and that explains why maybe Iserman's like, you know what, let's nail down the backside of this team. And then I can go spend money on guys I evaluate that are already in this league. We've been linked to rumor mill Tyler Johnson from the Lightning. You know, we talk about Eichel. We talk about all these guys. We go spend our money on those guys as well as bringing up Raymond and, you know, get Larkin back, get Bertuzzi back, get the offense going. I think it'll all balance out. Tyler Johnson's the shorter speedster from the Lightning, correct? He's a fourth liner, but, like, he'd be, like, a probably third or second liner on our team as of right now. He was. He was. He was very good. He used to be very good. Yeah, like he's no Braden Point now. Braden Point's their guy. One of their guys. Well, Evan told the plan last week. We're going to sign a bunch of awesome players yes. and we're going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, with the plan, though, I wrote down here because you see it all over the internet. Um, this kind of, and Alex just said it. Trust the seven, Iser plan. Seven times already. There's eight. Because I'm trusting. Just trust Iserman. Trust the Iser plan. Is it... Can you? Is it lazy? It feels lazy just to be like, oh, just trust them or what? Because like then people are like, what, how dare you question Eisenman? Like I get it, but then also like we're allowed to have our own opinions about oh. the draft picks. No, you're not. No, he built a non-hockey city into a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion. Okay. You're we're just gonna not be like, you know question. what? It's lazy to trust that guy. Well, Alex, you don't question any GMs. You're, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll, you're going to wipe Troy Weaver's Wrong. butt for him. I, take Jalen Green. I question Alavila almost every podcast. And he, the Tigers don't deserve our breath this week. So I don't get to this week. Fair. You did balance it out with that. I don't know if it's lazy. Um, it's your lot of critique to draft picks. Don't get me wrong, but I think you do need to trust him and what he's doing. He has a method to his madness. I mean, we were talking about like future, uh, what we're going to do in the future. And if you look at the current NHL free agency starts on Wednesday, when you're listening to the starts tomorrow for us, that's awesome. We're, we're not going to sign anybody flashy. Oh, um, and the people that we have resigned, they're like one year, two year contracts. These are filler guys. Basically a tryout. If you're not over 32 to try out to make the team to stay with the current team. And with like the young talent coming up, the defensive talent, I don't get me wrong, I believe Eisman will make a splash on a big name free agent within the next two years. We missed out on Sam Coase. He never got to free agency. So I, I 100% believe we will get a top talent. And hey, next year we have a bunch of our draft picks. Who knows what we can do with those? Uh, we'll be in the top of the draft again. So I trust them. I like the draft and I like where we're going. We're getting better. And, and like you said, for the free agency, I was looked at that. Like the biggest offensive name is Gabriel Landeskog. I mean, that doesn't really move anything. So I guess I'm like, if we're going to make a splash, it's going to be through a trade, which is kind of what we've kind of hinted at. We're going to have to give up some of those draft picks and some young guys to acquire an Eichel, to acquire said player. You know, like we're going to have to, in Eichel's camp, the agents still want him out of their bad. So something's oh, yeah. got to happen there. Um, 
Yeah, and the other thing I need to mention is I like I know like it gives you're giving up stuff and we like capital, but you have to use capital, aka hint to the Oklahoma City Thunder. You have to use the capital. I like that he identified at 15, he's like, I want this goalie now. Yes, maybe I can get him later. He went and got his guy. Go get your guy. If you have a guy, don't just get your guy, move, move up for the sake of moving up. If you have a guy that you like, and you're like, I'm worried about him falling based on all the rumors from the other GMs, they might take him here. Go get your guy. Use the capital if you have to. Can't wait to see Troy Weaver do that for Corey Kispert. It's going to be awesome. That would be shattering. And if maybe Sakud and is gone. Um, I feel remiss before we close this all out. The Tigers are down 4-1 to one in the bottom of the third. So I told you did hit the home run to give us our run, and he's been on a tear recently. So love to see that AL rookie of the year. do for AL yeah. rookie of the year, Tigers for last in the central. Ooh, spicy! Might next hey. week's episode is going to be hot. Alex is going to recap his big tournament, the trade deadline for the Tigers. See what we do there. Yes, and talk. Pistons when they draft Kate Cunningham and they don't blow it. Pack show next week. Get ready for it. I'm. It's going to be a good one. Excited. All right. Oh, oh yes. Before we cheers. Social accounts. I always feel like it's a Debbie Donner before the cheers. But at Shot of MS on everything except for TikTok. That's at Shot of Machine Sports, all the way spelled out. Um, that's where you see clips. That's where you see polls, our graphics. We're doing some quote graphics now, just trying to work in some new things on the social accounts. You can interact there, comment, DM us on there, anything you want. Um, we really appreciate it because it makes it more fun for everyone. Our Gmail is shot of Mich- at shot of machine sports. No, it's shot of machine sports at gmail.com. That's any business stuff. If you want to advertise with us, you can send any questions there as well. How do you listen to this show physically? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube for now, all audio only um, versions. Like I said, social media is where you see the clips as of now. And if you're on those platforms, whatever one they specify, follow it. Give it a good rating, five-star rating and review. Subscribe to it uh, if you're on YouTube. And you know what? Toss the link to a friend. Be like, hey, listen to this. Disagree with them. I agree with them. What do you think? And again, timestamps, people. If there's things you don't like that we talk about, you can jump around. Go to the timestamps. That's why they're there. And then, like I said, as always, questions, questions, questions. Anything you want to talk about, any topic ideas, any hot tips you have for us, any rumors you have for Alex, just send them. Email, DM, doesn't matter. And with all that being said... Let's cheers to close out episode 31 to drafting Kate Cunningham and the prophecy being fulfilled. The logical cheers here is to Kate Cunningham. Cheers to me buying a Kate Cunningham jersey on Friday night. Mm. It'd be huge. 